0: D- M.
3: This one is good.
4: Hello and welcome to Galdem's first ever podcast. Inspired by our book I will not be erased, our stories about growing up as people of color. My name's Liv, I'm Galdem's founder, and for those of you who don't know, Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to platforming the voices, perspectives and creative work of women and non-binary people of color.
3: Hello, I'm Charlie. I'm the Head of Editorial at Galdem and I'll be co-hosting our podcast with Liv. We're super excited to be starting our journey with you. Each week we'll invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up.
4: You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome Welcome to our our
3: podcast, podcast, Growing Up With with Galdem. Galdem. In this episode, we'll be speaking to the brilliant British, Bangladeshi, Irish singer-songwriter Joy Crooks. She's probably best known for her song Mother May I Sleep With Danger, but she's also currently working on her debut album. We're really excited to
4: have Joy Crooks here with us today. We're all huge stands over at Galdem. Joy is only 21, but her music and her message is incredibly powerful. She's also a fellow South Londoner, born and raised, and proudly reps it. And over the past couple of years, she has released two EPs, Reminiscence and Perception. And she's also received a Brit Rising Star nomination and has a cooking show, Cooking with Crooksy, which I love. And Joy's music focuses on the kind of constantly changing world around her and encourages people to look at their own surroundings. Um, I saw like one comment on one of your songs on on YouTube where someone said that your voice is like liquid chocolate dripping on strawberries, which I feel is a very apt way to kind of describe the soothing tones of your of your music. So thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited that you're here today.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
4: I can't remember when we first met Joy, when we first like, do you remember?
5: No, I remember being like, 18 and like constantly emailing you, but that's it. <laughs> and then I think we I think we may have met through Matter or like we were with Matter and then she introduced us or something like that.
4: Yeah, it must be matter You two are, 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 are good friends, aren't you?
5: we like we just roll together everywhere.
4: <laughs> I love it though. I love it though. Like and both of you being 21 and just like old or, or I don't know how old Matter is now, but just completely taking up space. Now. 22 sorry 22 now um, okay. taking up <laughs> taking up space um in these industries and just having such powerful voices i think yeah just totally amazing um what we would would love you to do um and is the basis for our show Um, you've kind of provided us with an extract from a song called Poison that you wrote or that you performed at least, I think, in 2014. Um, I was watching the YouTube clip of you and you must have been about 15 at that time,
5: right? Yeah, I was 15. (laughs)
4: Um, I don't know if you want to either sing it for us or if you want to read the extract that you sent over to us out loud
5: to begin with. I will will read the extract um, because... I feel like I woke up with my voice like two tones deeper than it usually is. We'd be here
4: for it, but you know, it's fine.
5: (laughs) You're scared of snakes and I'm scared of you, but you've got poison like them too. You shed on me. I pick it up and all I do is clean up after you. The poison, you say you got it from your mother. The poison, there isn't anyone else to blame. And then it goes into the da-da-da-da-da-da bit. Not many words involved there. Verse two: I caught you once. You tried to bite. You tried to scream. Maybe the poison is floating in my jeans. Chorus: The poison. You say you got it from some others. The poison. There isn't anyone else to blame. Da 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 da. Verse three: You need to learn to sweep up your tracks because if you don't, it's gonna get you back. It's gonna get you back. It's gonna get you back. And then back into the chorus. It's really simple, <laughs> um, and that's kind of the point of the song. Mm-hmm.
3: So, How does it feel reading that back and? taking yourself back to that period of time that you wrote it?
5: So when I wrote it, this is so mad. I don't think I've ever, ever told anyone this. My therapist at school, because I didn't actually know what a therapist is, th- someone called it a counsellor and I thought that was to do with cousins and then I told my school that I had enough
0: cousins. <laughs>
5: <laughs> so I said, um, so basically I was, by then I kind of knew what was going on and I knew what the purpose was for therapy and he told me that I was borderline going clinically insane so when I wrote the song it took me like 10 minutes to write the song and it was just like I feel like when you're raging um you don't have a filter and it just kind of like popped out and that was the song and it was done so when I hear back the lyrics or read it it's kind of like it makes me laugh because I was in such a when you're going like slightly mad like actually going mad um you find everything really funny it's like one of the symptoms of going mad is like one of the like the most harsh news you hear is like hilarious even though it's just not something you should laugh at um and and i've seen that in some of my friends as well we've like we've all kind of had genuine mad moments and um so i find it funny to listen to the lyrics cuz it just makes me laugh and number two it's really harrowing at the same time <laughs> So it's like a bit of both. But I just, I, to be honest, I have a sense of humour when everything is going downhill. So I feel like, yeah, that's something I've carried.
4: Were you were you speaking to then like kind of where you were and your mental state at the time in the song? Or were you speaking like specifically to a person or like a thing
5: that had happened? I was speaking to one of my family members who literally just rang me right now.
3: Were they aware that you'd written this song about them?
5: Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. it's really it's really hard to if you have a genuine phobia of snakes and I start a song with you're scared of snakes I think you kind of know that the song is about you I mean like the person I'm talking about has like a really severe fear of snakes Mm
3: -hmm. like
5: because they actually when they were younger like where they came from there were snakes so like it was a genuine fear yeah
3: and has I mean it's it sounds like your relationship with them has perhaps improved over the years if If you're
5: sort of calling them. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. There's been a lot of work, but that's kind of like, I feel like with relationships like that, you really have like a choice. It gets to like a, you do or you don't try and improve the situation. And so I decided to try my best to improve the situation because I think that first line actually is a really important factor into why I decided to continue the relationship. And the reason being is that, So many of us have internal, like, and generational trauma. Mm. Um, And naturally, sometimes when we don't have the access to therapy, which is very common in our communities, then actually putting your emotions and rage and anger and trauma somewhere ends up being in a person close to you as opposed to something that you try and unpeel and fix. And so, even though I think if it was a friend that was moving that way, I would cancel them easily. But because it was a family, that I love I had to act with compassion um but I had to deal with my own stuff first because I was obviously I inherited all of their shit basically. In the moment of writing this song did you already
4: have it in your mind that this was something that you were going to resolve them because it was family or were you not in that place or that headspace at the time?
5: Not at all mm. oh my goodness from there it just went downhill um so I ended up no, it took me a long time. I ended up living alone at 17. So I think that when you have all that time to reflect on like your past and your childhood and you really have to fend for yourself, that's when a lot of the healing came. But I think even now I'm still learning and healing and it's just like a process that will last for the rest of my life, to be honest with you.
3: Yeah, I feel that. I think it's it's really amazing to hear you talk about generational trauma and those sometimes quite toxic relationships that you can have with family members and I hear I don't know I hear a lot about people sort of um cutting off and like making the decision to like no longer speak to people but I don't hear so much about the repairing process even if like you've acknowledged that they've done you a lot of harm yeah that repairing process I think is really important to talk about too It's
5: like, it's a classic thing of you kind of almost have to put yourself into their shoes. And that's really, I mean, you have to be at a level of recovery to be able to even do that. So um, I think, you know, I come from two parents that are immigrants. And, you know, even the transition of coming and moving to a different country is traumatic in its own way. And you have no family here, and you have no one here, basically. So I think that I can't, I can't ever empathize. I can sympathize. And it's about how far your sympathy is willing to go. At what
4: point do you like in your journey, in your development, I guess from like 15 to now, did you start to, I guess, like have that understanding or that kind of framework through which to understand that, yes, OK, I'm looking at intergenerational trauma and yes, OK, I need to work on myself before I can work on repairing those relationships. Like, what was that process like?
5: I don't think I intellectualised it as much as I can now because I, I couldn't, because I was in the heat of it. I have this theory that you have to be, say if we were like in a war, right? And the best way to know how to fight a war is if you're at a viewpoint. So, if you're on the top of a hill or a tower, for example, you can see everything that's going on around you. So, I was by 15, I was trying to walk up that hill or ta- like tower, and I kept no- being knocked down because that's what happens because you're just, you're still in it. Um, but I think by the time that I hit like 16, it started. That was the first time I moved away from this family member. Um, physically, just didn't live with that person anymore, and then by seventeen, I was by myself. So I just got to that viewpoint, I guess. And to be honest with you, it started with the weirdest little things. That that kind of going up the the tower, or going up the hill, started with like I remember I saw FKA Twigs on a poster because she did that Nike camp. I think it was a Nike campaign. She did something. No, she just released Water Me, and there was a billboard for that. Was it an EP or an album? I can't remember, but like basically FK had just released her first project and to be honest with you I've never been like that heavy into electronic music but everything that she represented and and how artistic she was really struck like it struck something in me and the way she wore her earrings that was it so she wore her earrings in such a certain way and I thought wow like it feels like she's representing something but I don't know what it is and I feel like my culture on my Bangladeshi side is really um that kind of gold jewelry, and the movement of that jewelry really reminds me of my heritage. so then I asked my ma to take me to Alperton, and that was the beginning of us me trying to understand her culture and bond with her and it started off with just jewelry, so it sounds really superficial and kind of like frivolous, but it was like a it was like me banging on the door to try and get into whatever it was that she was going through and, and, and understanding her because I thought the more I embrace who I am, the more she can embrace who she is and the less self-hate that she'll have. Because my mom's just like, she's been through it. She's properly been through it. And, um, she had to just, it's just that classic story of immigrant hustle. And I think there's not much time for repairing yourself. And so I almost, by doing that and going out to Alperton and and learning about the most Indian and Bangladeshi areas in London, that was my way of trying to, um, heal something in her as well I guess
4: it's interesting as well because for like a lot of our kind of like parents and grandparents generations their priority like when they came here it was like it was like a survival thing right and it was like you just have to get on with it and you have to do it and it's kind of like they've now paved the way for like us our generation to like have that time and that space and to think about therapy and to think about well-being and to think about intergenerational trauma and to think about how all of these things match up so I think that's a really kind of beautiful journey to be able to go on. With your mum, you know? I
5: think even when we're thinking about like right now and the current climate, I've been reminding a lot of my South Asian peers and family, like across the world and across kind of history, a lot of Asian people wouldn't be able to have as much freedom paved for them if it wasn't for Black people. And so that's been a kind of conversation that I've been having recently with them because we're at a new level now where it's not jewellery. It's like conversations like this and trying to understand um, our history. I was even watching before everything kicked off and the protest started. I was watching a documentary about East Indians in the Caribbean and they referred Mm. to the black people in the Caribbean as black and they referred to East Indians in the Caribbean as East Indian. And I said, Mm. there you go. One is a colour and one is a geographical place. If it wasn't for the African slaves in the Caribbean who were stripped of everything, then Asian people wouldn't be allowed to be called East Indians. They wouldn't be allowed to have brought their culture or their food or have, you know, keep keep relationships with their sons and daughters. So I think it's really interesting how it's gone from jewelry in my in my family and our conversations and our relationship to now having a, a lot more of a complex conversation and understanding. Allyship and that immigrant hustle and how that immigrant hustle is, has actually been paved by my mother's peers and her black brothers and sisters and siblings. You know what I'm saying? So I think I don't know. It's just really the development of our relationship has blossomed so much and um, yeah, to the point where she came over the other week because I just wanted to talk. Ezra, my boyfriend, um he was he's been super duper duper through it in the last couple of weeks, as you can imagine, and. Um, and my mom just came over and she just came to give us this huge talk. She was like, listen, whenever anyone tells me why I came to this country and I should go back to my own country, I'll tell them I'm here to get my money. And I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. So I feel like she's she's prouder of herself. And she, from us paying homage to her, wearing a lenga to the Brits. People think that I'm repping my Asian culture, but really it's a really personal thing. I'm doing it for my family. And um and watching her blossom and say what she wants to say and stand up for herself a little bit more and be proud of herself is really beautiful.
3: <laughs> no, I think, I think thank you for sharing that with us, firstly. And yeah, similarly to Live, I think a lot of us can relate in terms of, we worked on a, an article last year which was talking about how you can have those conversations about their history and about their background with our, like, Windrush generation, like, grandparents, Um because we all know it can be tough, and we all know that starting those conversations like are difficult, and sometimes yeah, you do have to go in with the jewellery, or you do have to go in with the food, or go to a place that that makes your family safe, and then you can branch out and have those those more yeah like wide ranging and yeah.
5: No, but it's really interesting that you mentioned windrushes because actually. Um my mum and grandma grew up in Stockwell. So when they sought political asylum to come here, my grandma went, no, I don't want to move to Northwest. I don't want to move to a place where everyone looks like me and it just feels very institutionalised. I want to go to a place that's more integrated and there's different cultures. And so she asked to move to Stockwell instead because they had like a block in Stockwell that they were allowed to move to as well. And, you know, all of our shopping growing up all of the places we would hang out is obviously Brixton and Brixton wouldn't be Brixton if it wasn't for the Wimrush generation. So that's just another link into my family benefiting from, you know, emigration um, from black people way, way before them, you know. And so now we get to have these kinds of conversations. It's amazing.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I've obviously followed you on social media and seen you posting a lot about like anti-blackness in the South Asian community, which is is brilliant to see um especially during this time of Black Lives Matter protesting and and everything. Um but one thing we forgot to ask you actually is how more generally you're getting on in lockdown, like how has this period of time been been for you? It's been
5: turbulent. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. It's been really turbulent. I think I kind of in the last month, I found amazing flow. And now that everything's opening up again, I'm kind of like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I really like being at home. And I've kind of got this thing going on. And I've always been a bit of a homebody anyway. So I I think it it was like a Blessing disguised and a curse for me. Obviously, I appreciate that this has been a really, really terrible time for so many people in, in unfortunate circumstances. And I've had family members be sick and, and pass away from the virus itself. But for, you know, for myself, I feel like it's been a time for reflection and re-evaluation. And it was one of those things where I didn't know I needed it. And now I don't want to leave it because I've just found this flow. And it's, I get to control my diary now and I get to just have loads of free time. And actually, if I want to write Monday off, I can. And I think more of us should work that way. I feel like we're so, we live in such a capitalist society that we constantly have to be part of this kind of mechanism. But having time to ourselves and genuine time has been amazing I didn't think I would ever say this but it's been amazing
4: (laughs) I feel like there's been this like universal sense that like you know since the start of lockdown and since we've all kind of gone like slightly more inward that now is the time to renegotiate boundaries and it's like less awkward or uncomfortable to have conversations about like what your boundaries look like and what those things look like and actually this is not the way that I want you to communicate with me or this is not the way that I work best or so I think yeah in a way it's opened up really like quite useful conversations about the ways that we work and the ways that all—not even just in terms of work—it can be in terms of family and friends as well, you know.
5: Don't you don't you think that um the the word normal going back to normal life has shifted so much as well, and 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 taking in also, you know, all the things that have happened recently and the current climate with the Black Lives Matter movement. I just feel like I've been able to have conversations with people I've never been able to have and actually check people the way where before I might have to kind of wash myself away, et cetera, et cetera. But I realized I got like a Zoom session with like my team and I was like, there just needs to be more black people so at Sony. And then, like, you know, they're all beating around the bush. I can't believe this. I can't. It's like, well, that's just have to look at I just, like I just, like, I feel so, that's something that I feel so excited about, that I can be loud, that I can be so loud about things that I kind of kept a bit more.
3: Yeah, that's such a good point, because I think that, like, often, even despite what we do at Gaudem and, like, uh, you know we talk about race all the time like um I, I think there are still people in my life who i used to tiptoe around but now it definitely feels like i can just be like no shut up you're being racist like just <laughs> just go away and do some learning in a way that that i wasn't able to before because it's really been yeah just like catapulted into into the spotlight and i feel like we're on the cusp of um of cultural cultural change and you know, now we have to really push to make sure that institutional and systemic change happens as well. So, yeah, it's, an, it's definitely an exciting time, despite all of the hurt and pain that comes alongside it, I think.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
2: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
3: So our next section is um, more explicitly about growing up. Uh, so On that note, we wanted to ask you if you had any advice that you would give to your younger self, um, especially in relation to, like, you know, being around potentially poisonous people.
5: (laughs) Um, Yeah. I always say this, and I think I'll always forever say this, is learn how to use the word no more and really exercise using the word no. Flex that muscle every time you can. And I think that's what I mean by getting loud as well, is it actually... I can fully say the word no. I, I don't have to write a poem around the word no. I can just say no. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's just like, it's so, oh, it's like my favourite word. It's, you know, and, and thinking, the, the annoying thing is that, I call it like the mirror replay. You know, when you you think, of, I think a lot of what this week has done for black people, I imagine, and non-black um, POC is, like, remembering shit that, you know that you've been through in the past racist shit just inappropriate shit where you could have been like no and i just think that i would tell myself my younger self say it when you want to say it because eventually you'll just it it, it will just turn it's just following your instinct your instinct says no so just say the word no and um even in music and everything and i think i've gotten way better at certain meetings with um, music industry people. I'm not going to name any names. But um, just like, nah, I don't think so. And we all know how to back up when we say no, because our instinct is screaming it. So naturally, you've got the choir behind you that is just yourself. So that's kind of, that's definitely the best advice I think I would give. 100%, especially for young women,
4: just no. And I, I hope that with, you know, the the current kind of context that the next generation of young people feel like immediately empowered to assert that sense of no. Whereas we were like, it took us a little while to get to that point because of being palatable and all of these different things that we were that we were navigating. I really I really do hope that on that. What do you think your like younger self, younger joy would think about where you are now today? <laughs>
5: I cried the other day because I did a little, because I've got this series called the Anyone But Me series, and I talk mental health of people I look up to and friends, et cetera, that are in, like, the entertainment industry. And I had a call with um, Kate Nash. And when I was at you, I actually wanted to be Kate Nash so badly. And I, like, got her hair cut, and I loved the way that, I didn't know what vintage meant, and I was like, vintage clothing? You know, to, to a little elephant and castler that grew up watching MTV, I'd never seen anyone that looked like her or spoke like her, and she was so outspoken. So I actually did, like, a call with her, and I started crying in there. and she was like, what's going on? And I was like, honestly, my younger self would never, ever believe that this could happen. Um, So I think my younger self would be very... um, I just... I reckon if I reversed back and told my younger self what was going on now, she would be, like, (laughs) taking a piss. (laughs) You know what, <laughs> last year, if you told me that some of the stuff that have happened, that's happened already and you told me what would happen last year, I'd be like, yeah, you're you're fully taking the mick. Um, even when I got, I told my boyfriend yesterday when I got nominated for the Brit, I told them that they must have gotten something wrong and they need to go and check their email again. And I, I was like, no, nah, it's not true. And everyone around me was like, yeah. And I was like, wait, just one second. Are you sure? Just like, got to be sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Bless you.
3: Yeah, I feel that. I think. Every now and then, like, in your career, you have those moments. For me, it was, like, interviewing Corinne bailey Ray. Mad. <laughs> Mad.
4: Yeah, I think mine was Michaela
3: Cole, probably.
5: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Don't get me started. I watched the four episodes of I May Destroy you.
3: <gasps> So good, isn't it?
5: Oh, so good. So good. Everything that she normalises is so, wow. I love her so much. I think she's so talented.
3: I just think the show is so creative as well. That's the other thing I love about it. But anyway, we've 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 talked about it loads already, haven't we? A... <laughs> the Michaela Cole
4: show. Literally. I'm kind of interested like as as a young person, still I guess a relatively young person, 21 is young, but as a young person, not in a patronizing way. But um as a young person who kind of like was fending for themselves at a very young age, at seventeen, you know, I feel like that is something that you know, my girlfriend, similarly, she kind of moved out when she was super young and, and had to navigate what does it mean to to live on your own from 15, 16? Like, do you have any advice for, for, for young people who might be navigating that process of like, looking after and like advocating for yourself?
5: Be your own parent. Mm. Don't do stuff that you know, you would get smacked for if you had parents waiting for you at home, because you will feel smacked, but in a different way. I think that I I think when you're given, I guess to us, I'm I'm going off my own experience, but having to move out early means, you know, some people are like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like you got to do this. And it's like, well, it's really not cool. And you don't know the reasons why I did it. And I think that a lot of young people that have ended up having to fend for themselves or be live alone at, you know, 16, 17 years old, um, it's probably because of quite sad reasons. So when we're given this much. F- like physical freedom, we tend to do what anyone would with a lot of freedom and take the piss a little bit. And I definitely did. I remember the first night I was here, I went out till like nine o'clock in the morning just because I could. And like it felt amazing. And I didn't do anything I wouldn't have done anyway. But there have been times where I've tested my own boundaries. And basically, you have to be your own parent. You have to take yourself home when you feel tired. You have to take yourself home when you feel like you're in an X, Y, Z situation. And you build your own family as well. You have to have your own chosen family. And I would always go out with one of my best friends is 10 years older than me. And he's um, I met him when I was 16. He was 26. And we were both working in the same. Um, you remember when Elephant had a box park? It was like the most shitty excuse. Yeah. So I used to work there um, at like this community music thing, which was only used for the community twice. Don't ask me why. It was, wasn't my job. And then he used to have his own fresh Vietnamese
3: Oh, I, might, I think I ate there once. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: So that was Nam. So Nam Nam owned that and he created his own little business and he would only empo- employ people from the area. So we were both like native to Elephant and Castle. I just came in, took the piss out of him. He took the piss out of me. And before you knew it, we were just like brother and sister. Um, so I used to go out a lot with him and like I learned how to party with him. And so I feel like he always kept an eye on me and he was like the brother I never had or the older brother I never had. Um, and... Just finding those people that you can genuinely trust. And and I've always been someone that does. I don't have that many people around me. I have maybe the five or six that are my family. And then that's kind of, that's it. Because I can't be dealing with groups. I think groups are very annoying. Um, and everyone bitches about each other behind their backs. is so rude. So I'd say just, yeah, be your own parent. And again, you have to say no. And have your own chosen family, I reckon
4: chosen family is absolutely a theme that has that has come up in in pretty much every kind of interview that we've done for the series be that like your own chosen family in terms of being a queer person of color or gender non-conforming person of color I think that is just such a such a critical thing for all of us it, for for survival you know so thank you
3: so yeah I moved to London when I was 17 for uni so it's, it's a bit different obviously because I was I was in halls or whatever but it was invaluable having friends who are a wee bit older who actually knew what was going on (laughs) in the world I had one friend who was also from Scotland and she'd moved down to London when she was 15 and um she really took care of me in those first couple months when I was like getting to grips and yeah um yeah so I, I feel you on that the
4: music industry as we know it's it's you know
3: there are structures in place and there are things
4: that, that, that need to change. But like, do you have any advice for, you know, a lot of our audience are super creative, musically inclined. Do you, any, do you have any advice for people that are trying to navigate that space as someone who is currently doing so?
5: I've got a lot of advice. Like, it's so cheesy, but you really have to be your own boss. And I always go back to learning how, like, learning how to say no and, and constantly say no, because I think that's really important. I think at the end of the day, industries run off of money and um, success and commercial success. And before you enter a space like that, you really need to know who you are. And not to a T, because we're all learning who we are, but you need to learn what you stand for um, and your principles. And I really am someone that believes in principles big time. Friendships, relationships, working relationships will end once principles have been disrespected. That's just how I go. And I came in as much as I know way more now than I did when I first signed my record deal, for example. I'd worked enough on my own I did my own EP I was independent I did it in my living room couldn't find a guitar so I'll I'll get one off this guy couldn't film a video had no money so matter why don't you do the makeup I've only done makeup for my aunties you're just gonna have to do it and so it's just like DIY DIY grind 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 learn your principles whilst doing that and then then it feels less like a reliance on people like labels publishing um Money's money, and we all need it to kind of get by because we live in London, and that's just what happens. But um, I think money can be super toxic. Other voices that have never actually been with you from the beginning of your career up to where you are then are really toxic. Um, And so if you know what position you're taking as an artist, then yes, there will be mistakes, but the mistakes won't cut as deep as they might if you hadn't known those principles and and your position I think that's the most important thing I always knew that I wanted to be very outspoken because I always was outspoken I guess with me I don't really have a persona as an artist I am just myself so it's kind of like how much of myself do I want to be in my artist kind of in my artistry and um and it was like the thing I used to get in trouble with at school. I just always spoke my mind. That's just how I, like, I, and I speak too much and I ask too many questions. And so I knew that even some of those little things you might have gotten in trouble at school for will continue in your career and, mm. in, your, and in, in your development as a human being, you know.
3: Where, where do you sort of see your career going from now? What's the Do you have any sort of ambitions or dreams that you have yet to reach? I was
5: talking to someone about this yesterday. I really want to... I'd like my album to be successful. And when I say successful, I don't necessarily mean in like a... I'm just going to sell myself out. Like, I'm not. (laughs) I really don't want to do that. And I'm actively against that. I want to make... I always want to make music for myself. I always want to make music that I'm proud of. I always want to be a better and better and better songwriter and producer. I just want to like... I want to have like a family someday. I want to make money to be able to let them like lead a life similar to mine uh, or even better I've just got and also I've always said this since I was really young I want to be able to make enough money to be able to help other people whatever capacity that is you know I want to be able to go back to bangladesh and work in bangladesh i'd like to just work here i'd like to adopt a child from east london because there are so many bengali kids in tower hamlets that don't have homes don't have houses don't have families so there's loads of there's loads of little things really and i just think i want to constantly be a better version of myself and that's the most important thing It might sound really selfish but if i'm not then i don't know what anyone else will receive you know thank
4: you. We're going to ask you like a couple of quick fire round questions, if that's all right.
5: Um, So the first one is, are there any shows, what show are you binging at the moment? I May Destroy You. I re-watch Fleabag all the time because I just deep like how British that show is and how important it is for British people to see how devastating they are at times. I've been watching a lot of Dave Chappelle. He's just... I. And learning about his past as well, I think, is really interesting. So I've been watching lots of interviews about Dave Chappelle.
3: Yeah, my boyfriend also loves Dave Chappelle and he'll just sometimes come into the room, like, and shoot me a quote and I'm just like, I don't know yeah. what
5: you right.
3: <laughs> <did>. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, yeah, literally. literally. <laughs> okay, second second question. All right, what, um like, food item are you missing the most during lockdown? Or, like, what restaurant are you missing going to?
5: Like, really bougie sushi restaurants, like, very bougie, like this isn't coming out of my card, this is coming out of whoever I'm working with's card type of <laughs> Like I'm order everything on this bloody menu bougie. I miss those dates. <laughs> right? Particularly someone from Nike, um, Flo took me to um, this sushi place just off Carnaby Street, you know, the one that kind of looks like they cook in front of you, like Benny Hanna vibes. And I tried like sashimi for the first mm. time because I really don't like raw fish. But whoa, like that place was so good, and I think it's because like the quality was like really there, you know. We did a manager moment there too. We tried to like get the manager because they gave someone who was allergic to shellfish shellfish, so it didn't it didn't get the bill for free though. I tried yeah. <laughs> I even miss like rage in in restaurants. Yeah,
4: I I love I love to do a bit of rage in restaurants. I love it. I love it. People like my friends hate eating with me.
3: I was gonna say the amount of times I've been with Liv, and she's like, um, "This is too salty." And um... yeah, yeah, <laughs> fact, it's right. It's only right because actually, it
5: means that you've got great taste buds and you know what you're doing. So,
3: thank you, yeah. thank oh, you.
5: Yeah. All right, all right.
4: <laughs> um, and then finally, what is your long lockdown anthem?
5: Like, I'm not gonna lie because I don't have TikTok. Ez played the box for me when I was cooking and I'm telling you Roddy Rich I don't think I've ever like a song's really like when I'm when I'm cooking I can generally ignore the world but that song just made me like I was like wow, I <laughs> really understand why like, this is so popular like four months after it became huge.
4: People can't see Joy is like bopping the shoulders right now. Yeah, no, I was
5: like, was like, like when I, I was stirring, like I was making da or something, and I was like, whoa, okay, um, probably not that song though. But that's the song that really kind of blew me away by understanding how good it was. I think, um, oh my goodness, I've been recently. I've been listening to so much music, but I feel like my the song of probably one of my songs. I'm not gonna lie, I've listened to a lot of myself, especially my new stuff they're hmm. so probably one of my new songs i like listen to them in the car and then like roll up the window in case people realize that yeah
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing like so grow- my parents are musicians and growing up they always listen to their own music a lot and i was like I, for a while i kind of thought it was a bit weird and then they were like no because we create the music that we want to hear and i was
5: like well yeah fair enough. <laughs> this is it yeah this is it. and when you do it well because we have to listen to it to see if it's good but when we do it well then that shit is getting spun constantly Absolutely constantly. So I feel like one of the tunes I wrote last week, I've been listening, I've listened to like 700 times or something.
3: (laughs) Brilliant. Well, I can't wait to hear it. But yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. It's been a delight. Thanks for
5: like supporting me for ages.
3: We love you. Thank you. I mean, I think the biggest thing I took from that was. Joy's like deep understanding of intergenerational trauma and how that has impacted her life, um, and how she and her her mum are sort of working together to um, to just develop their re- rela- relationship, even though it's it's been hard.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I loved it. I think the thing that I love about Joy is just like the power of her, like as a person, and like her confidence and just like. Unwavering, I guess, sense of morals and like what it is that she wants and where she wants herself, her career, her music, her politics, like everything to stand for. I think that's really just like beautiful and also inspirational as well. So yeah, always, always a pleasure. And I, I was just looking back and thinking of like the time when I think I first sat and chat chatted with Joy, just us in Peckham a few years ago. And I'm just excited to see like her journey and and where she kind of continues to go. So yeah, stunning. Galdem now has a membership model where you can sign up. We have three incredible tiers where you get lots of extra perks, including newsletters, events and merchandise. And essentially becoming a member helps us to sustain and continue the work that we do. It's really crucial for us as independent publishers that we have the support of our readers, listeners and fans. So if you can, please head to galdem.com to find out more about our membership model. This has been an ii Studios production.
3: Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll tune into the next one. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app,
4: Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review, rate us, and subscribe. It really helps the show. And if you'd like to find out more about Galdem, you can head over to our Instagram page at Galdemzine. That's G-A-L-D-E-M-Z-I-N-E. Or you can visit our website, which is G-A-L hyphen, which is important, D-E-M dot com.
3: Galdam has a book which is out now. It's called I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. You can find it in all good bookstores or online.
4: Thank you so much for listening.
1: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit juvederm.com. That's J U V E D E R M.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues